Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the morning service of Sunday the 18th of May 2014, entitled Trusting God. And the Bible reading is taken from 1 Kings chapter 18. Here's Pastor Tom Gritz. Well, thank you so much, Pastor, for allowing me to be here. It's been a, I was driving up here and I was say, told my wife, man, it's been a long time since I've been in this church. It's, it had to, has to be probably about... 16 years since the last time I came to this church, and I sat on the back row right, right back there and, you know, messed around and didn't listen, as, as kids do, you know. Um, so hopefully you don't do that to me today. That'd be nice. I appreciate that, you know. Um, <laughs> so um, what I want to talk to you about, we're going to be in First Kings chapter 18 is where we're going to be at. First Kings chapter 18 is where we're going to be at this morning. And, uh, but I want to start off telling you guys about, can you tell me, what this is. What is that? It's a fingerprint, right? Pretty simple. And I, I was doing some research and, uh, about fingerprints. I know that sounds really exciting, and you're so excited now to hear about fingerprints. But um, very interesting that, that I found out is that a fingerprint evidence uh, involving uh, a conviction of a crime happened in 1902 here in England. The very first time they ever used any, any kind of fingerprint evidence against someone was used here in England. It's actually, actually down in, in, in South London. And a man named Henry Jackson, was, he, he pleaded not guilty to the charge of burglary. He said, I'm not guilty. You can't prove anything. I did not break into that house. I did not steal anything. I have, have, have none of the things in the house on me. I don't have any of the money. You cannot prove a single thing that I was there in that house. And you know what he stole? Billiard balls. I mean, who steals billiard balls? You're going to steal something, at least do something good, right? <laughs> anyway, apparently in 1902, they cost a lot of money. I don't, I don't know. Um, but this detective, he examined the crime scene, and he looked around. He looked at, at the broken glass. He looked at all this other stuff that he could see. And, and on the ledge, he saw all this dust particles and all this other uh, material that was on there. And he started, he saw a fingerprint. And he, he, whatever he did, he took the cast of that and he brought it in, into, the, into the courtroom and said, this is the man's fingerprint. He was there at that scene. And the man said, no, it's not my fingerprint at all. You can't prove it. They took his thumb, they put it in, they cast his thumb, and it matched identically. And therefore, he was charged guilty with the evidence that was produced in the court. It's because of the evidence that was produced, this man was found guilty. This man said about this man, he said, wherever he steps, wherever he, whatever he touches, whatever he leaves will serve as a silent witness against him. Because the evidence that we leave behind everywhere we go. If we were smart enough, we could figure out where everyone's been in the last week, right? Because we could look at evidence. We could look at your phone and track you that way, right? That's why I love and hate cell phones. But, um, but we can figure out by the evidence where we have been. And here, first, here in 1 Kings chapter 18, uh, it, it sets a nation of Israel during the time is in terrible drought. It's in terrible famine. There's not food. There's not water. People are doing everything they can to get food and water to, to actually just live from day to day. The people, they're beaten down. Uh, they're, they're not excited to live for their country. They're not excited to live next day because they, they don't even know they can get food and water for the next day. Right? They've seen much hunger. They've seen much death. 
And it's really hard for them because the king in charge is a guy named Ahab. And, and with him leading the way, they do not see any difference the next day. They get up and say, this is a bleak, bleak time. I don't see any hope for the future. I don't see anything going forward that's going to change my idea about how my life is going to go today. Not only that, there's little faith left. Not a lot of people are worshiping God. They're turning to all these idols. They're turning to all this idol worship. They're doing everything else they possibly can so it can rain. Because if they get rain, they can get food. So they're doing everything they can. They're not worshiping God. The worship of God is, is virtually extinct until one man, until one man comes on the scene. And who's this man we're talking about? The answer's up there, just to let you know. Who is it? Elijah. Elijah. We're talking about Elijah. He comes on and he stands and, and he challenges the people's laziness with God. He challenges the, the, the king in charge. And what we're going to see here in, in, in 1 Kings chapter 18 is, is a true power encounter between God and between the false idol. Okay? And the thing is, God rests his credibility upon his ability to outperform the prophets of Baal. You understand that? God rests his credibility upon his ability to outperform the prophets of Baal. So only God can make it rain, right? In this family they had, only God can make it rain. And we have to trust God in, 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 our, type, in our times of drought, in our times of spiritual drought, and even our time of physical drought. We need to say, God, I can trust you. I'm going to put my 100% trust in you that tomorrow is going to be another great day because I'm following you. We can trust God is true to his word because of the evidences that are in our life. Because we look back at the evidences, we can see that, God, man, I can trust you. No matter what happens, I can trust you. So let's turn to, to John chapter, I mean John, 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings, sorry, I'm, I'm, we're starting a Bible study in Telford. I've been studying John, so I have John on my mind all the time, so I apologize about that. Um, so 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18 is where we're going to be at. And so we're going to look at, it's going to be this big, big standoff between God, Elijah, Baal, and the prophets of Baal. Okay? Do I have the right chapter? I do? Okay, yes, we're going to start in verse 19. Verse 19. That's why I was throwing myself off. In verse 19. So we're going to have this big, this big power struggle between God and between the prophets of Baal, and we're going to see who's the true God. Who's the one that they can trust? Who's the one that they can put their full trust and hope in? So we're here, we have set, we're setting the table here in, in verse 17, and it says, And it came to pass, when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Aren't thou he that troubleth Israel? See, before, in, in chapter 17, Elijah came to Ahab and said, It's not going to rain until God tells me it's going to rain again. So Ahab said, Aren't you the one that's causing all this trouble in Israel? Aren't you the one that's made all this happen, all this drought, all this famine, all this, this death, all this hunger that we're going through? Isn't that you? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house has, in that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. 
Now therefore send and gather to me all the Israel unto Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal four hundred and fifty, and the prophets of the groves four hundred, which eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel, and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long shall how long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him, but if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him, not a word. So we have Elijah, he's setting the table here. The, the Ahab comes to Elijah and says, aren't you the guy that caused all this trouble that we're going through? And Elijah says, no, you and your fathers have, because you're not following God. You're not doing what God has told us to do. You're not following the commandments of God. In fact, if, if you go back into, into 1 Kings, it says that Ahab had done more evil in the sight of the Lord than any of the kings before him. This man did not love God. This, did, this man did not want to follow God. This man had nothing to do with God. He said, you caused all this trouble. You, because you're not following God, you caused all this trouble in the land. And so, I tell you what, you go get all your prophets. You go get all the prophets of, 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 that, 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 that eat at Jezebel's table. You get all them, bring them to this certain place, and I'll come, and, and we'll talk. So Ahab, he goes, gets all the prophets, brings them to a place. And Elijah says, man, how long are you going to be sitting on the fence? How long are you going to be flip-flopping back and forth? If God is God, follow God. But if you want to follow, follow Baal, you follow him. Just make up your mind right now. Which one's it going to be? And the thing is, even when they're challenged with making a decision, what's the, what do they say? I don't want to say nothing. I'm not going to choose one or the other. They're still on the fence. Okay? So this, 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 this situation we're going to, we're going to see is, is, is setting the table. Everyone's there. There's a whole bunch of people there. There's Elijah there talking to all these people and telling them, if you're going to follow God, follow God. If you're going to follow Bell, follow Bell. Okay? So let's, let's move on to, to, to verse 22. In verse 22, here we're going to see that, 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 that Elijah's going to, he's, he's going to put down a challenge. And in verse 26, then said Elijah unto the people, I, even, only, even, even I only, remain a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let them therefore give us two bullocks and, and let them choose one bullock for themselves and cut into pieces and lay it on the wood and put no fire under. And I will dress the other bullock, lay it on the wood and put no fire under. And call ye on the name of your gods and I will call the name of the Lord. And the God that answered by fire, let him be God. And all the people answered and said, unto, said, It is well spoken. And Elijah said unto the prophets of Baal, Choose you one bullock for yourselves and dress it, for ye may, may be many. And I will call, and, and call on the name of your gods, but, uh, excuse me, but put no fire under. So he said, Okay, let's, let's, let's do a little challenge here. Let's do a little science experiment, okay? I'll have one animal, you have another animal, you sacrifice your animal, you put on the altar, put no fire under it, I'll do the same thing, and we'll say, hey, you say, prophets of Baal, bring down fire. And I'll say, God, bring down fire. And we'll see who has the real God. It's a pretty bold challenge, right? I mean, Elijah's going to have to be someone who's walking with God to say, hey, I'm going to see if I can get God to perform for you. Right? No, no. Yeah, it's a bold challenge he's making here. He's putting himself out there. It's him standing by himself against 450 prophets of Baal. He's standing there and saying, are you ready? 
Let's do, I challenge you. If your God is so good, if, you're, if Baal is so awesome, let's see what happens. All right? So the challenge is set. He says, do it. Let's do it. All right? So let's, let's go to verse 23. First, oh, sorry, verse 26, sorry. Verse 26. And they took the bullock which was given them, and they dressed it and called on the name of Baal for, for morning, even until noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, nor any that answered. And they leaped upon the altar which was made, and it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is God. Either he is talking, or he is pursuing, or he's in a journey, or pre-adventure. He sleepeth and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut the, uh, the lances till the blood gushed out upon them. And it came to pass, and the midday was past, that they prophesied unto the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. And there was neither voice, nor any answer, nor any that regarded. Uh-oh. That's an uh-oh moment. It's like, whoa, wait a minute. So they have been jumping around, leaping around, cutting themselves, crying out. All the way to noon, nothing happens. So Elijah sees an opportunity where he could say something, and he's very encouraging, right? He says, oh, wait a minute, is your God asleep? Is he away? Is he out? Oh, I mean, maybe you have to shout louder so you can wake him up. Maybe he, he slept past his alarm, he snoozed too many times, I don't know. That's what I do, and then I end up being late. I'm like, oh no, but um, maybe, maybe you need to wake up your God. There's something wrong if you have to tell someone, maybe you need to wake up your God. They do it all the way to the evening, nothing. Now, personally, if I'm the prophet of Baal now, I'd be like, whoa, wait a minute. Am I really serving their true God? Because I did all this stuff, I did all these rituals, I did all this work so my God can maybe hear me once, and he didn't hear me. Not once. There was no voice, there was nothing there's no little spark over the sacrifice. There was nothing. They failed. Baal failed the prophets of Baal. So let's look at verse 30. The response. And Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him. Well, you would, right? Because you just did all this work and nothing happened. He said, Okay, now it's my turn. Come on over. So they all come over to Elijah. And repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, unto whom the word of the Lord comes, saying, Israel shall be my name. And with these stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench around the altar, as great as would contain two measures of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bullock into pieces and laid him on the wood and said, Fill four barrels of water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. He said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the the water ran about the altar and filled the trench also with water. So what what he said, okay, you've done your job. You've done all the stuff. I've given you a whole day to get your God to listen to you. Now it's my turn. So he comes over, he builds the altar, he builds it, he puts a big huge trench all the way around the altar, and he says, you know, take water, pour it on the, on, on the actual altar, pour it on the actual sacrifice so it won't light very well, and then keep pouring it, do it three times, that it fills that trench all the way around the altar with water. Okay? So there's a lot of water. What happens with water mixes with wood? Does it burn very easily? No. 
You get a drenched piece of wood. It's very, very hard to, to light that on fire. Okay? So not only he said, okay, I'll do the same thing you do, but I'll give myself a penalty. Right? I'm not going to give my, myself the same opportunity that you had of just a dry altar and a sacrifice. Mine's going to be soaked with water. Okay? So let's keep reading. 36. And it came to pass at the time of, of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came there and said, Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, and the people, that the people may know that thou art the Lord God, and thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell. And consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that, w- that was in the trench. Man, God showed up. He simply says, God, I follow you. I trust you. I'm putting my trust in you at this moment, God, that all my whole life is in your hands right now. God, bring the fire. And God just, boom, brings a fire, takes everything up. There is nothing left. The altar's not left. The, 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 the dust that the... That the Wood turns into is gone. All the water is gone. There is nothing left. So you, who showed up? Who showed up? God showed up, right? Did he have to take all day, cut himself, jump around like a monkey on the altar, do all this stuff, do all these rituals, do all these, these works to get them to hear God? Did he have to do all that? No, he simply trusted that God would do what God said he would do. So simply trust. All right. So the Israelites and everyone now, there is evidence that God is the true God. Right? Is that true? They can look back at this time and say, hey, that's when God showed up. That's when the true God beat the, fe- the false idol of Baal. There was no one else that's bigger. There's no one else that's greater than God. There's evidence, right? They can go back and say, this is what happened. We can go back in the word of God and say, this is what happened. That means I can trust God. What we've seen here is that the evidence of God's superiority, that God is superior to everyone. There's no one in this world that God is subject to. God is superior and above everyone and anything that a man can create. Any God that, that, that man can, can create and make a great backstory for, God is greater than, than them. So when we look at this and, and we turn it, down, turn it back towards us, the question I had to ask myself when I was, when I was uh, reading this and studying this is, in what areas of my life, in what areas of your life, has he shown himself superior? Can you go back in your mind and say, man, man God showed up in that, that time in my life. Man, he, he was absolutely superior to everything that time in my life. Because God's, God's way is always the best way, right? He's always the best way. And we can see here that God's way was the best way when Elijah said, okay, let's see, let's see you do it, and let's see if my God can do it. And my God did it, and your God didn't do it. You failed. Whatever plan he has for my life, whatever plan he has for your life, is the superior way. Is the way he has for you. For me, when I was living in England, 
All I wanted to do, well, I am living in England. When I was living in England before, all I wanted to do is be a rock star. I wanted to make millions of pounds, live the easy life. I did, so everything I did from when I, halfway through high school to when I left to go back to America was to accomplish that goal, to be a rock star. I, I formed rock groups. I joined rock groups. I, I did everything I possibly could. I dyed my hair green, and, uh, which is really funny because I always have short hair, and I dyed it green. And uh, it, was, it was one of those washout ones where you, you spray it in, and you wash out the next day. And I, I kept doing that. And I got up one day, and I went down for breakfast with my parents, and they started laughing at me. And I'm like, why are you laughing at me? That's not nice. I just woke up. Why are you laughing at me? And I always have short hair like this, and uh, my... It was washing out of my hair, but my scalp was completely dyed green. So I had this green, like, glow on my head. So my parents never let me live that down. And, uh, you know, that's how parents do, I guess. But, um, but that's what I want to do. I want to be a rock star. So everything I did was to go towards that goal. And I went to America, and, and I did uh, uh, six months at Baptist Bible College in America, and I was still wanting to be a rock star. I did not want to be in Bible college whatsoever. I thought anyone who goes to Bible college or any kind of religious college has to be a crazy weirdo, and I don't want to do that. And, uh, <clears throat> and so I failed out of college. But here's the thing. I'm living at college. I don't have a job, so I'm eating at college. I'm sleeping at college, and if they tell you I'm not allowed to come back to college, what happens? I have nowhere to sleep, I have no food, and I still have no job and no money. So for the next uh, two weeks, I am calling my friends and going from couch to couch to couch to couch to couch. And halfway through that, I, I got this crazy, crazy thought in my head, maybe I need to be following God. I know it's a crazy deep thought. I know it's life, life-changing thought. And before, the, before all this happened, God called me to be a missionary. I surrendered my life to be a missionary at camp, actually at Clovey Hall. Yes, there you go. It was actually at Clovey Hall I surrendered to be a missionary. And so I was, like, I was thinking this, this, this time when I had no money, I had a, a backpack that was all my clothes, everything that I owned. I'm thinking, hmm, maybe God's called me to do something else than just sleep on people's couches. And I know what he's called me to do, but I don't want to do that. I don't want to follow that way. I saw all the struggles that missionaries go through, and I told God I would never put my family through that. I will do everything I can so my family doesn't have to suffer in any, any way. But I had to come to a realization when I have nowhere to go, i got to follow God. If I have somewhere to go, I'm going to follow God. And so I made a decision that day, God, God, your way is superior to mine. It has to be. And so I started to follow him, started to get, actually have a relationship with God, not just a, a surface thing that everyone sees the missionary kid. Oh, I'm a missionary kid. I'm good. I can, put the, I can put the mask on. I can look good in front of everyone. But when I'm by myself, I'm going to do what I want to do. And so I started to follow God and, and, and make a long story short, within, within two weeks of me saying, God, I, I will follow you. I will put my life, I'll put my trust in you for the rest of my life. Within two weeks, I got a job, I got a place to stay, and I actually ate a lot of food. So that was good. Uh, but when I put my trust in God and say, God, your way is better than mine, man, what he's done with my life, I could not even imagine what he, what he could do with, through me. 
first and foremost, he gave me an awesome wife. So, so that's always a good thing. And so I can look back now and I can see the evidences that are there that God's way is superior to mine. I want to challenge you guys to look back and see where has God shown himself to be superior to everything else in my life. And when you look back on that, don't live in that past. Take what he's done in the past and move forward and say, God, you're going to do it again. You're going to show yourself to be true. You're going to show yourself to be trustworthy the rest of my life. So that's the first thing we see, that, 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 uh, the evidence of, of God's superiority. And the second thing we're seeing is, is the evidence of God's credibility. All right? Does anyone know what credibility means? Can anyone give me a definition of credibility? Pastor Curtis, give me a definition of... To be credible, there you go. Sounds good. Pretty, pretty simple. Um, the evidence of, 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 of God's uh, credibility. So let's pick up in verse uh, 41. Okay, so we, we've just had this, this crazy challenge where, where, where Elijah has challenged the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Baal have failed 100%. And now, and now we get to see more of what God can do if you just trust God. Okay, chapter 18, verse 41. It says, Elijah said unto Ahab, Get thee up, eat, drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. So Ahab went to eat and to drink. All right. So if you go back into chapter 17, Elijah has told the king Ahab that it's not going to rain until God tells me it's going to rain again. And it's been years that this happened. So now he comes to him, hey, go get something to eat, go get something to drink, because rain is coming. Rain is going to happen again. You're going to have food. People are going to live. It's going to happen again. And so Ahab leaves, he goes off to do what Elijah told him to do. Is it interesting that he's actually doing what Elijah told him to do now? After seeing what God can do? But we're going to see some of the, the stubbornness of man in a little bit anyway. So um, verse 42. And he cast himself... So Elijah went to the top of Mount Carmel, and he cast himself down upon the earth and put his face toward, uh, between his knees and said to his servant, Go up now, look towards the sea. And he went up and he looked and said, There is nothing. And he said, Go up again seven times. And it came to pass on the seventh time that he said, Behold, there rises a little cloud out of the sea like a man's hand. And he said, Go up and say unto Ahab, Prepare thy chariot, get thee down, that the rain stop thee not. So here we have this, this rain. But what, 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 what do you think might be going through Ahab, not Ahab's, but going through Elijah's mind when he gets down, he says, okay, you know, go up to the top of that hill, go up the top of that ridge, look over and, and there's going to be rain. And so the servant goes up, he goes up to the, the top of the ridge and he, he looks over and he's like, uh, there's nothing. What do you think is going through uh, Elijah's mind right now? Okay, God, you just showed up in a big way. Please, you, you're telling me there's going to be rain. I've told him to go look, and there's no rain. So, the, so he comes back down. He says, you're going to have to go up and down this, this, this ridge seven times. On the seventh time, he gets up. He looks, he looks over that ridge, and he says, there's something. There's clouds. There's rain is coming. He says, go and tell Ahab to get on his chariot and get going back to where he's going to. Because the, cause what happens if there's a drought and then it rains a whole, whole bunch? What happens? It floods because the ground can't take the rain. So he says, get in your chariot, 
get home because it, there's going to be a lot of water happening. I don't want you to get caught so you can get back, okay? So look, let's look at, uh, down at um, verse uh, 44. And it came to pass on the seventh time that he said, Behold, there rises a little cloud out of the sea like a man's hand. And he said, Go up, saying Ahab, Ahab, prepare thy chariot and get thee down, that the rain stop thee not. And it came to pass when the, in, in the meanwhile that the heaven was black with clouds and wind, and there was great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel, and, and the hand of the Lord was, a, was on Elijah. And he girded up his loins and, and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. So here we have, the, it rains, there's all these clouds, all these crazy things going. And actually what's a little interesting side thing I, I love about this is that the, the hand of the Lord is upon Elijah, that he ran faster than the chariots. He ran faster than the horse and chariots. That, that's a pretty cool thing. That'd be cool. I always like to, when you're driving a car really fast, act like you're running really fast. Like, look at this, I'm passing cars. Anyway, um, sorry, I'm a little weird. Um, so it rains and it rains and it rains and it rains. As it gets back, God has shown that he is credible to what he told Elijah back in chapter 17. Because God said, it'll rain. It's not going to rain until I tell you it's going to rain. And when I tell you it's going to rain, it's going to rain. So Elijah had to take God's word and say, okay, I trust that what you say is going to be true. Because to be credible with someone is means you have to fulfill your promises. To be credible with someone is to do what you said you're going to do. You don't want to follow someone who constantly says, I'm going to do this for you, and never does it. Would that be a good leader? No. So... God does exactly what he says he will do. And not only here in chapter 18 do we see it in 1 Kings, but all the way through the Bible there are stories after stories after, after times that happened that God said he's going to do something and he did it. Now it's never right when he says he's going to do it, right? He's going to say, I'm going to give you something. Sometimes we have to wait, right? There's a waiting, there's a gap period for me when God said he's going to do something to when it's fulfilled. But God will never, ever not fulfill what he said he was going to do. And we can look through the Bible. It had never rained. Listen to this. It had never rained. And he tells Noah to build an ark. Hey, Noah, it's going to, there's going to be this rain falling in the sky, and there's going to be a big, huge flood. So I want you to build a boat. Ark, sorry. Okay? Can, can, can you do that for me? So Noah says, yes, I'll, I'll, I'll build the ark with the promise that it's going to rain. Did it rain? Amen, it rained. God fulfilled his promise. He gives a promise to Abraham that he'll be a father to many nations. But Abraham never had a child at the time. He's really old. Really old. Yet he and Sarah have, a, have, a, have Isaac, and he's the father of the Jewish nation. God said it was going to happen. It happened. He said he would give his people a land flowing of milk and honey, and Joshua led the people into the promised land. He said it was going to happen, and it happened. And the best one of all, I love this promise. He promised a Messiah and a Savior to the world. He completed that in the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What he said, he will do. And what I want to challenge you guys here is, is, is are you going to trust God? Are you going to put your full trust in whatever situation you're going through? 
Because each of us are going through completely different situations, right? We're in different struggles. We're in different, different uh, parts in life with different struggles that each and every one have different things that we're going through. And it would be easier for us to say, man, I'm going to throw my hands up and I'm just going to say, I'm, forget it. I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. Because whatever God, what you're getting me to do here is really hard. It's tough. You want me really to stand up in a multitude of people that say God doesn't exist and say God loves you? That's what you want me to do? Really? Do you realize what might happen to me if I do that? What do you think Elijah thought when he stood in front of 450 prophets and said, okay, my God's real, yours is false. So I want to tell you, whatever you're going through, look back, look back and see the evidences where God showed that he is superior to everything. Look back and see how God has been credible in your life. How he has shown himself to be true, to be trustworthy and faithful. Because I can look back in my mind. I know if you really look back in your life, you can see where God has done that for you. In the bleaks of times in your life when you don't see any kind of hope, you can look back now and say, God, man, you were there. There's an interesting uh, poem. Has anyone heard the uh, footprints in the sand? You know, where you, he's like, you know, there's two footprints. And then look back, God, oh, well, there was only one set of footprints. I saw a, a funny um, little cartoon, but it's very, very true. It said, God, there was only one set of footprints. Well, that's where I was, carry- that's where I was carrying you. And what about that, that, that one big line back there? There's a couple of big, just, just long lines. Like, oh, that's where I dragged you, right? There's times when we don't want to do what God's called to do, right? But I want to challenge you just, just, from, just from, from chapter 18 of verse Kings. Will you trust God? He is trustworthy. He is superior. And you can, he, his, his credibility will never, ever be tarnished. Because he will do exactly what he says he will do. Let's pray. Heavenly Grace, Father God, Lord, we love you. God, we thank you for today. Lord, we thank you that we can come here and the freedom we have to come and just worship you and lift up your name through song, Lord. Lift up your name through fellowship and and most importantly, God, lift up your name through your word. Lord, I pray for each and every one of us here today, God, that the things we're going through, the things we know we're going to have to go through this week, Lord, help us to, to continue to put our trust in you. Lord, we saw Elijah, he, he stood up to the prophets of Baal. He stood up to the, to, to the religion of the world. I said, God, my, God, my God is superior. Lord, help us to get that, that mindset in our lives, Lord, that, that you are superior. There's nothing else we can turn to that's better than you. Lord, and help us to, to understand the fact that, that you're credible, Lord, that, that your credibility is 100%, that you will do exactly what you said you will do. Lord, you said you will never leave us, you will never forsake us, God, and help us to, to cling to that, that, that promise, God. We can, we can just trust it. You'll never leave us. You'll never forsake us. You'll never leave us in a place where, where we're going to get uh, put down, God, because we're resting and we're trusting in you. Lord, we love you. We thank you for everything. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm-hmm.